Hello, everybody, and welcome. My name is Matt Sheffins, and I am happy to introduce today a couple people and a very interesting subject as we're going to explore the world of father wounds, especially father wounds here in the United States. Now, I've got two experts who are going to help us understand this subject and really dig deep into it. Our first expert is Bob Record, and Bob. I'm not gonna do justice to your biography, so I'm just gonna let you take a few seconds here and introduce the, the people watching and listening. Uh, a little, tell us a little bit about Bob. Well, thanks, Matt. What an honor to be with you. And uh, I would say the most important thing in my life is that I've been married to Cheryl for 49 years. I've got three grown kids and seven grandkids. It doesn't get more important than that. Uh, past that, I have the privilege of traveling across the country and speaking to churches, to men's groups, to special events and training. I speak on behalf of pro-life, and I have the thrill of writing uh, books, one of which deals with father wounds. And so I'm just thankful to be here. All right. Thank you so much. Ken McClick-Tuck is our other expert. And Ken, much like Bob, I'm in no way going to do justice to your bio. So if you could just tell everybody a little bit about yourself and what brings you here to this subject. Well, I'm the son of Willie and Marvin McClinton out of Southeast Washington, D.C. I grew up in the metropolitan Washington, D.C. area. Uh, I've always had a penchant for entrepreneurialism. Thus, I created my own television network, TECNTV.com, uh, uh, and as well, my own television show. Um, but the reason why I mentioned my father first is because I've always had a great passion and love for my dad. Uh, he set an example for me, uh, not only as a deacon in ministry, um, but as a father figure in my life. And so I've tried to apply what I learned from my father in terms of loving my own daughter, uh, who is about to give me my first grandchild. So I hope from the years of experience that I've had in terms of fathering, uh, that I can be of some asset in terms of this conversation. Excellent. Thank you, Ken. All right, Bob. Let's just start by getting to the ground level of this. Um, you know, the breakdown of family in, in today's world, it, it's a major issue. And a lot of this can be traced back to what is termed father wounds. And can you just tell us a little bit about what, what father wounds is? How, how did we get here? Tell us, tell us a little bit about this subject and, and why it should mean something to us. Absolutely, Matt, I'd be honored to. Here's the reality, everyone has a father story. And many of those are special and happy and warm and powerful, but sadly, an increasing number and a significantly increasing number, not so much. And yet fathers and dads are so critically important. Uh, Dr. Ken Canfield, who established the National Center for Fathering, says it this way. He said, whether you're a father, whether you're a grandfather, or whether you're a father figure, you have tremendous, tremendous influence and power, probably more than you even realize. You have the power to strengthen the next generation or to destroy the next generation. And your invisible presence and power and influence, he said, will be felt for decades to come. And that's so true. Dads are so important and special, Matt, and every child, every child needs what 
God designed for a dad to bring and build into the life of a son or a daughter. Uh, throughout the Bible, the eternal God of all creation is referred to so many times as Father, Heavenly Father. Jesus referred to God as Heavenly Father more than he spoke of the kingdom of God. In the Sermon of the Mount, he refers to our Father in heaven, your Heavenly Father. Over 17 times, Jesus spoke of his own eternal Father as his Father over 125 times, and as our Father 30 times. Go to uh, Paul in his letters in the New Testament over 40 times. He refers to God as the Heavenly Father. God established earthly dads, not to replace him, but to reflect him. As uh, my friend Tony Evans says it so well, he says, every earthly dad is meant to be a mirror to reflect the incredible fatherly qualities of God. And then he pauses a minute and he says, but sadly and increasingly, a lot of us as fathers have cracked the mirror. And that is really well said. And Matt, I saw that firsthand when I was especially speaking for Promise Keepers. And I remember one year when I was going 19 cities back to back, speaking in huge arenas, 10,000, 15,000, 20,000 guys. And I was uh, tasked with giving them the call to accept Jesus Christ and make a decision of their life uh, about how they felt and would respond to the call of God to have a relationship with him. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of men, every one of those cities, Matt, came streaming forward. And I would jump down in the midst of the men. And I don't care whether they were uh, in jeans, if they had come in a suit, if they were dressed in sweaters and slacks or leathers from just getting off a bike. Here's what I heard them say, uh, Matt, over and over and over again. Things like, would you just hug me? Because I've never had a dad hug me and tell me he was proud of me. Or all I wanted was a dad in my life to show me what a man should be like. It, it was amazing. So I started asking a key question as I was speaking to men's conferences then across the nation after that. And here was the question. How many of you who are present today had a dad or a stepdad or an adopted dad who regularly and consistently said, I love you. And by that they meant unconditionally they would regularly and consistently say they were proud of you, not for how you performed primarily, be it academically or athletically, but for who you were and who regularly and consistently engaged in what was important to you in your life, not just what was enjoyable for them. And I would ask the men to respond. Here's this shocker. Only 25% on average would say, I had a dad like that. That meant the mass did not. The highest I ever saw in any crowd was uh, 35%, which meant that 65% of that crowd said, I didn't have a dad like that. So as a result, uh, having had a biological dad in my own life who was an alcoholic, being thrown from place to place and house to house and not wanted only to be adopted later, by a dad who had his own baggage and brought it into the marriage and then into my life. I got what father wounds was. Some call it a father vacuum. So here's what's happening in America because of all that. One out of three kids, Matt, every night in America 
go to bed under the age of 18 without a dad, a, a physical, biological dad present. One out of three. One out of four go without any kind of dad, be it stepdad or adopted dad, whatever. And in the inner city, it gets as high as 72% who don't have a father uh, uh, presence. And then add to that, Matt, millions who may have a dad at home who's present, but emotionally unengaged on a regular basis. And you've got a makings of a real challenge in a society. So here's where we are in America. The home continues to break down. The dads that were created by God to be a mirror to reflect the incredible loving, caring, providing, protecting qualities of God have cracked the mirror too often. And the victim in the whole issue are the kids. Not only guys, every bit as much girls. Both of them struggle and find themselves in deficit in America today on an increasing uh, manner. Boy, Bob, it, it, I mean, and you're just touching the tip of the iceberg here on this subject right. with what you've given to us. Um, we're, we got a lot to unpack here. Uh, let's turn it back to Kent McClinton for just a minute here. Now, Ken, from your perspective, what have you seen the challenges of these father wounds and where do you, where do you see this, the origin of this problem coming from? I want to first say um, I am honored to be on this panel with Dr. Bob Record. Uh, he is a tremendous master of reaching the hearts and souls of men. Uh, and one of the great reasons uh, behind a lot of recovery in America is because of his book, Father Wounds. Um, for me personally, I want to give a uh, a viewpoint of a personal one um, in terms of my relationship with my father. Uh, growing up in the inner city of Washington, D.C., uh, there was always this excuse, this easy acceptance of mediocrity and even failure. And my father saw it when I was in public school and they wanted to put me in special education. And my dad said, there's nothing special about that boy. He's all right. Uh, and he decided, along with my mom, to take us all out of public school and put us into a private environment. Now, my dad didn't own any oil wells, and he didn't have any gold in the backyard. My father had to work three jobs alone while my mom took care of us at home to make certain that we were able to go to one of the finest private schools in the city. And in my first quarter there, I thought I was the most brilliant person in all the world until I had to do math. And I opened the book, the math book, and for some odd reason, things seemed to just be so jumbled and I didn't understand the constructs and things of that nature. And eventually in that first quarter, I got an F. And I didn't want to take home the report card, but I had to. And I showed it to my mom and my mom yelled at me for a good hour about all the sacrifices they were making to get me into that school. And she said, I can't wait till your father comes home because he's going to get you. Well, this is what my father did when he came home. He says, son, 
you're going to sit with me on my lap and you're going to read the entire math book to me and you're going to memorize it. I was like, are you, are you dad? It's just an F. <laughs> and, and my dad who had worked two jobs and only had like three hours um, between getting enough sleep and eat to go to his um, midnight job, sat there with me for two hours while I read that book and memorized all the formulas. And he said, from now on, son, you're going to bring home A's. My dad didn't swat at me. He didn't curse me. He didn't yell at me. He challenged me to be better. And I learned that from my father personally. Here's the problem in most African-American communities, or at least inner city communities. 80% of the families that live there are single parent households. The mothers are working two jobs. They don't have time for the the moment that I had with my father. So children struggle economically. They struggle educationally. Then they struggle mentally. My father encouraged me and loved me. In that household of the modern urban environment, there's no father to encourage or set a tone. There is a tired woman who's just trying to make ends meet. So from my personal experience, from what I've looked at over the years, I've seen how this has transitioned for individuals who didn't have fathers in the household. Poor relationships, poor personal understanding of self, a lack of faith in God. All these things transition to a point where someday there's another child who's sitting there and doesn't get the love and attention that a father, an Abba father can give to him. And that child ends up wanting, needing, and desiring so much more in life. My objective here is to provide that particular type of insight, but as well, the whole concept of how we can move as a nation away from this resistance to have love in the household through a father if we can just overcome doing that, we won't have to worry about that kid who screws up in math in his first quarter, but later on gets straight A's for the rest of his educational career. He'll turn out well because a father loved him first and didn't reject him first. Thank you, Ken. Just a, just a really unique perspective that you bring here. Bob, you talked about a couple of the things that a dad can do, either strengthening or destroying through their actions as a father. Talk about some of the problems on that destruction side. We're going to, let's start with some of the dirty stuff. What, what are some of the problems that are produced in society and in households when there is this father wound or father vacuum? Yeah. Well, uh, Matt, I think first it would be probably helpful for us to give a definition to father wound or father vacuum. If you look at what a wound is physically, a wound physically when it happens to our body is a breach of the surface skin that injures and damages the tissue below and which if not cleaned, cared for, and repaired causes infection inevitably. Now, take that and put it into 
what happens in the life and the soul of a boy or a girl when they are emotionally hurt by a dad. So here's what I would say would be a good working definition of a father wound. It's an emotional injury to the heart or the soul caused by a dad, a stepdad, an adopted dad, or no dad, by what they did or did not do in words, actions, or inactions while the child was moving through childhood and adolescence. And it damages the relationship between a dad and a daughter and son. If that relationship and that damage is not repaired, it will bring and cause infection that will then spread and impact other relationships. So when a dad is wounding, whether it's intentional or unintentional, Matt, a daughter or a son, what happens is they find that preschoolers who have a present and engaged dad have much less behavioral problems, both at school and at home, and much stronger verbal skills. But when they're wounded, that goes down significantly. When a dad or a stepdad is actively engaged with a son or a daughter, they are much, much stronger in their self-esteem and self-awareness. But when they're not present, much, much less. Uh, when a dad is engaged and he's significantly connecting with son, daughter, the child has increased mental dexterity. Ken's point, example, dad putting him on his lap, say, we're going to go through this uh, math book together. Now that'd put anybody to sleep in a heartbeat. And <laughs> his dad invested that kind of time. So Ken became a child who had increased mental dexterity he also became a, a child, a grown adult, a, a teen whose empathy for others greatly increased because of dad's engagement. And boy, here's a key one in our society. When a dad is engaged, when a dad is really connected with son or daughter, their self-control is incredibly increased. When the dad is not, it is incredibly diminished. Now think of our republic called the United States. We are given inalienable rights by God, we are told, and among those are uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And yet that whole construct of a republic, of a democratic republic, is totally based on even a greater reality and that is self-governance. If the self-governance doesn't happen, a country begins to implode. And when a dad is not engaged in a home, and then you multiply it by thousands of homes and then millions of homes, the self-control issue begins to collapse. And as a result, the country begins to teeter on its foundation. And what are we seeing in a lot of our major cities with crime escalation? A lack of self-control. And you can go straight back and find a missing impact of dad in the home. All right, Ken, I see you shaking your head over and over down there as, as yeah, you're hearing what Bob has to say. 
Go, go ahead. Take it from here. These are all great amens. And, you know, uh, the love for a father, a child who has an absentee father will find someone to fill that void. So true. The unfortunate thing, however, is that when you leave it in the hands of someone who has no experience, uh, no repertoire, no uh, reference point to what a father is, and has not been introduced to God the Father, Abba Father, uh, often the choice is someone who can appreciably take advantage of their lack of wisdom for their own ungodly gain and misdirect the child in a very inordinate manner, i.e. gang violence, i.e. drug addiction, i.e. children out of wedlock. So what Bob is saying here is so elegant and yet true that quite frankly, the whole concept of father wounds has a staggering impact for men who want that fulfillment in their life. They want that hole to be filled, but they can't find anyone to do it for them. So often in misdirection, they make some staggering errors, catastrophic decisions. And yet if there was someone who pointed them to whom a father is, someone who in that neighborhood, who was a father, like my dad, Kids around the corner would come around and talk to my dad. I never understood it. That's my dad. What does he know? But he was there and he was able to be a example, a pillar for them to say, you know what? I'll take dad's advice here because I see what happens with his kids. His kids go to church. And when men take their children to church, the majority of the family are able to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. When dads take their children to dinner, they're able to learn how to maneuver through culture and develop personal relationships and communication. When dad is there to teach you how to pray, you're given an example of how to get around your problems and give them over to someone who handles them. Unfortunately, for many young men, 12, 10, 8, they're walking down the street with no guidance whatsoever. And the lack of guidance always leads to somewhat of a, well, not even somewhat, very bad decisions. So it is very important for both men and for women to admit, I'm part of that 65%. I'm part of that group that didn't have a dad at home. I'm part of that group that didn't have someone to give my mom a foot rub after her long day. I don't know what it's like to see a relationship, a good relationship between a man and a woman because I didn't have it in my home. I'm one of the 65%. And you know, the crazy thing about that 65%, it doesn't matter about your race, your color, your creed, your religion, it doesn't matter if you own a Porsche or VW bug wagon from 1973. All that matters is there is a hole that needs to be filled. And in filling that hole, then you can have the direction that you need in life 
to make some of the most brilliant decisions and grow. Just because you're wealthy doesn't mean that you don't have father wounds. All right. Ken, you, you talked about it, it, it doesn't matter as far as race, your, your upbringing, your, your monetary value in life, all of that. Um, talk, talk about the a race issue, because I think some people like to or, or think this might be a racial issue. Explain how it's not. It's not a racial issue because the absentee of fatherhood is not relegated to one group of people. It's not relegated to the Hispanic family down the block or the black family that comes to church or, or the Asian family or the white family that go to the mall. It's not relegated to any particular group. It's relegated to the human race. Unfortunately, in the human race, at least in America over the past five decades, we have adopted certain ideals, certain principles. I can do bad by myself. I'm okay alone. I can do this without anybody's help. And there is a sense of self-governance that is wildly misunderstood. You see, when God brought man and woman together, it was not just merely for the enjoyment of each other, but it was for the pleasure of reproducing. It was for the pleasure of giving God glory through the children. And so the concept here of father wounds is that there is an acceptance that God was right. You need a father in the household. You need a mother in the household. The two of them give the example necessary for them, the children, to follow in the footsteps of God. Um, so in, in my opinion and in my thoughts, I really believe that if those who drive through certain neighborhoods and say, oh, those poor black kids, oh, those poor Asian kids, oh, those poor Latinos, oh, those poor white... When you drive through enough neighborhoods, you'll understand it's not relegated to just one particular race, it's relegated to the human race. Bob, you, you've got the book, Father Wounds, and you've spoken to crowds of thousands many, many times. Talk about your experience and seeing not just the white men that come to this, but how everybody, how this affects all of society here in the United States and beyond. Yeah, Matt. I, boy, Ken was just right on the money. It is the human race. And uh, I saw that as I've spoken. And once I started writing the book, uh, ending the cycle of father wounds, because it is a cycle. And if it's not ended, it becomes multi-generational. And I, I sure experienced that in my own journey, which I'll refer to in just a second. But I started writing the book for men. And as uh, women were talking to my wife and she was saying, oh, what's Bob doing now? And well, here's what he's doing. He's writing this book for men. They went, whoa, wait a minute. It, this isn't just a man's problem. This is women, too, who have dealt with this. And then I would find myself in settings socially where the same thing would happen. And women would say, wait a minute, please go back and include us. So that's why I went back and basically redid the whole book to include, it's not just a racial issue of one racial group, it's a human race issue, but it's also across all genders. It, it isn't just a gender 
masculine or gender feminine or in our society a, a confused gender issue it is across the board and as a result uh, I experienced this in my own life firsthand so that really also gave me a situation of seeing it uh, up close and personal Ken was really blessed to have uh, that very special father knows best kind of home my situation was that my mom got ill carrying me in the womb uh, was quietly encouraged to abort me didn't and uh, as a result 11 months after i was born my mom died that left me and two brothers uh, just a little bit older than me with an alcoholic dad who didn't know what to do with us uh, more than that he didn't even sure have any assurance he wanted us and so we were sort of thrown place to place and house to house he would get rid of us until he got guilty and then he'd get us back and it, it was just a really tough journey i would finally be adopted matt and you say in your mind, yes, finally, that's a great ending to the story. Well, wait a minute. My adopted dad was the result of a 45-year-old man in a statutory rape with a 15-year-old girl. That's how my adopted dad came into being. Well, the 15-year-old girl, 16 when she had him, didn't know what to do with him. So she just threw my adopted dad, who would later be my adopted dad, to her mother and her mother's alcoholic husband. And he was raised in a very difficult situation, constant battles and fights in the house. And to Ken's great point, when there's not a father present, then that child will find somewhere and someone to fill that. So that's exactly what the person who would become my adopted dad did. He joined a gang. Now, we tend to think that gangs are a modern day thing in uh, the inner cities of the major cities of America. He was in a small Illinois town. Gangs are anywhere and everywhere, and they've been historic. And when you don't have a dad figure, you just go find somebody to find it. He found it in a gang. He was constantly in trouble. He was stabbed critically in a knife fight by the time he was 16. Now he's married. He and his wife have lost four children of their own, three by miscarriage, one, the last one by stillbirth that almost killed the wife. And they found and heard about me, adopted me, and I'm so thankful for what they gave me and some stability that they provided. But Matt, think of everything my adopted dad brought into that marriage. Thanks think about what he brought into being a dad to me he hadn't had one he didn't know what one did or what one looked like so he was flying blind trying to be my dad and i'll give you one example when i said that father wounds are wounds to the heart and the soul emotionally of a son or a daughter whether they be intentional or unintentional so let's fast forward. I'm now adopted. I've now got a home and I'm playing sports. I'm in a basketball game. It's a key game. And my dad, who's working hard, just like Ken's dad did, was hardly ever there. We had a great night. It was the best night of my life. You know, I always wanted to be an athlete in the worst way. 
and God gave me the worst way. But every <laughs> once in a while, I, I would have a, a unexpected point of brilliance. And that particular night, I had a great night, scored a lot of points, etc. And when it was all done, here's what happened. I watched all my teammates with their dads and their dad's arm around them and grabbing their arms and just saying how proud they were and how thankful they were to have been there, et cetera. And I stood alone with no dad. When I got home that night, my dad who worked construction and worked hard and provided, and, and my dad, my adopted dad thought, if I work hard and provide, he'll know that I love it. But you see, a kid needs a lot more than just provision to show the love. So I walked in, I thought, my dad's going to ask me, how was the game? And I'll get to tell him. When I walked in, he looked up and he said, you're late. And that's all he said. He never asked about the game. And I went to my room. When my dad died, I realized I had never been able to tell him about that game. I'd never been able to share that moment with my dad. And you see, there are a lot of kids out there who maybe their dad's not an alcoholic. Maybe he's not left the entire family. Maybe he's not addicted to drugs. But when they want him and need him a lot and most, for whatever reason, he's not there. And even those unintentional wounds get carried into life. And if they're not dealt with, if they're not addressed, and if they're not healed, they are sadly an unfortunate gift that can keep on giving to the next generation. So I know that firsthand because I had to walk there. Powerful stuff, Bob. Ken, this is a deep issue. Is there hope? There's a great deal of hope. And we have an answer for the hope that lies within us. The hope that men and women can no longer see themselves as employed to raise a kid, but actually devoted to making certain that children get to where God wants them to be in the first place. Um, I'm going to tell you just off and I'll return back to that point, but Bob and I have had conversations both publicly and privately, and many people can look at us and say, they're all right. Look at them. They're okay. But I want you to know that the heart is the problem. The heart's the problem when it comes to uh, murder. The heart's the problem when it comes to rape. The heart's the problem when it comes to stealing. The heart's the problem when it comes to easily looking at your children, putting your coat on and leaving the house and never returning. We have a lot of brokenhearted people who never had someone who picked them up after the game, never had someone who took them to the ice cream parlor to talk about life. And all of that is so built up in us 
that we want to give that burden to somebody else. Often we give it to our spouses through verbal and domestic violence. And often for us uh, as men, we don't believe that we can talk to anybody about these particular issues because it makes us feel kind of feminine. Yeah, I don't know exactly how feminine feels, but apparently it makes us feel that way. I can't talk to anybody about this. Uh, they'll think I'm weak. And the big problem here is that God wants to be our strength and our weakness. And we need to be able to point to him to overcome all the other issues that we face. And when we take a look at what we face, many of those particular issues are because we didn't have a personal relationship with our father, both God the father and with our personal fathers. I wanna say this very quickly. One of the things that I love about the quote unquote black church or the quote unquote white church is that we segregate ourselves to this understanding that only this group has this problem, only that group has that problem. But in the church of Jesus Christ, we must realize that anything that is apart from the Father is eventually going to lead us to a problem. And so we all face these particular issues. And I can look to my friend Bob, not because of the color of his skin, but because of the content of his faith. And in that faith, we have a peace that passes all understanding. We have a hope and the answer for that hopelessness that lies within us. We have a redeemer. We have a lover of our souls. We have a friend. We have someone who loved his father so much that he obeyed his father to the cross. That's the kind of father that we need to be. That's the kind of father that we need to give. That's the kind of father I hope when we speak on these particular issues will open up a redeeming heart in every man and woman who's ever lost or never had a father. And Bob, we know you talk about the cycle. We know from looking at you, the cycle can be broken. We we can't unpack that whole thing here today, but there is hope that, you know, for the people that this has happened to, you can be different. You can be the change in your family and change that for generations to come. Well, that's so true, Matt. And I guess that's one thing I'd want to leave with right in conjunction and harmony with what Ken just said so, so beautifully. And that's that there may be a dad, a stepdad, an adopted dad, a father figure out there who is hearing us, who says to himself, uh, it's too late. It's too late. I've screwed up too much. There's too much water under the bridge. Ken and I would both want to say, along with you, Matt, it is not too late. The Amen. course can be changed today. But to your point, uh, Matt, it's got to be intentional. It has to be an intentional decision to stop and to turn the corner. It is not too late. And even for that person who didn't even have a father, one never showed up in their memory. Well, the Bible says that God becomes a father to the fatherless. And the reason Jesus came 
just get this, was to repair a rupture with our heavenly father. I mean, this message is eternal and interwoven through everything we are. And the last thing I would say is there's a new movie on right now uh, in our theaters, and it's the story of Kurt Warner, who played professional football. He was uh, great in college, but didn't get drafted. And he's stacking and filling grocery sacks. That's the only job he could get. When he finally gets a chance, and he goes to the Rams, and uh, the quarterback who's been so incredible gets injured. They throw Kurt Warner in, and the guy takes him to the Super Bowl. Not only that, they win the Super Bowl. It is one of the greatest movies I've seen in a long while. But what many don't realize until the end of the movie is that Kurt Warner's dad was absent as he grew up. He had father wounds. He was hurting. There was a hole in his heart that Ken referred to that wasn't being filled. And after all that happened, God brought Kurt Warner and his dad back together. And today, Kurt Warner's dad, who had abandoned him, is Kurt Warner's greatest fan and companion. So can it be changed? Absolutely. But you've got to admit that you're one of the 65%, as Ken so well said. You've got to be willing to become vulnerable, and you've got to be intentional that with you, it's going to change, and it's not too late. So let's start today to make the new journey. Well, we're starting a new journey here with this podcast here today, and I think you guys have just really laid a beautiful foundation. Uh, we're we're going to keep expanding on this. We're also going to welcome our friend Jeff Kemp in on these conversations down the road as well, bring his unique perspective to this all. So, uh, Bob Record, Ken McClinton, thank you so much for your time today, and thank you for your contributions. Thank you. It was an honor. All right. For Bob and Ken, my name is Matt Chapkis. We will see you next time. Thank you so much. Thank you.